Good morning, folks. I am just so honored to be with you folks this morning. And, and thank you, Pastor Stan, for this opportunity to be with you folks and to come and share my story and what the Lord is doing in the country of Cambodia. And thank you for your love of missions and partnership in bringing the message of hope and salvation to the people of Cambodia. And it's so good to see some of you folks that were in Cambodia and to see Ken uh, in, on this side of, of, of the world. It's, it's kind of a bit strange for us. <laughs> Believe it or not, you, you look at Ken and you look at me, when we travel in Cambodia together, people think we're brothers. <laughs> I wouldn't mind being brothers with Ken, on a certain day anyway. But <laughs> I do apologize that uh, my family is not here with me. Uh, we are a bit split up. Uh, I have three daughters, 18, 14, and 7. And our two oldest daughters are going to school in the country of Malaysia because uh, where we are in Cambodia, we don't have an English-speaking uh, school. Uh, and so we have to send them away. And my wife and our youngest daughter... It's in Minneapolis uh, uh, today because we homeschool her and, and we couldn't travel quite easily. And so uh, they are there, but they would love to be here. Uh, but I, I'm here and I'm just so honored and humble uh, uh, to be here this morning. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to the book of John, chapter 4. And we'll be reading from verses 4 to 10 and 30 to 35, please. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciple had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Skip down to verse 30, please. Then they came out of town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more than the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at, excuse me, open your eyes and look at the harvest field. They're ripe for harvest. You know, folks, as I read this portions of scriptures, 
I'm thinking of the places that I traveled to in the country of Cambodia, the villages across Cambodia, because for the most part, for us in Cambodia, we don't have running water. The concept of running for, uh, of water for us means that you run with a bucket of water, literally. <laughs> and as I traveled to those places, uh, I would meet people at the well. And there are places in Cambodia that they don't have enough well to provide water for, for the people in the whole village. And so sometimes, especially the ladies, would get up in the morning and they would wait in line for an opportunity to draw a bucket of water that would provide for their family needs of that day. And, and so I would go, and, 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 and because of the heat and the thirst, you would go find people at the well. And as you would do so, I would share uh, uh, God's love with them. And as I was doing so, I'm reminded of what Jesus did so long ago as we read in John chapter 4. But this morning I, I would like to draw your attention to, to verse 4 when scripture tells us, now we have to go through Samaria. When I read those words, I asked the question, why? Yes, scripture tells us that Jesus had to go from, from where he was to Judea up in the north. But he didn't have to go through the town of Samaria. Matter of fact, that's what the other Jews did they walk around that town because scriptures tell us that Jews do not associate with Samaritans. But Jesus said he had to go through Samaria. I believe he said that because he knew there was a divine appointment waiting for him. A woman at the well. A, a woman that was broken. A woman that was rejected by others and was lost in sin. And she needed a savior. She needed somebody to come and help her. And Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Eternal One, would purposely walk to that Samaritan town to touch that woman at the well and the people of that town. Because as he stated when he began his ministry, he quoted from the book of Isaiah, and we find this in, in Luke chapter 4. He said, he came to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, and give sight to the blind, and set the captive uh, free. And because of that, our Lord Jesus Christ said, he had to go through that Samaritan town to minister to that woman at the well and the people of that town. But the thing is, folks, just as he did then, he continues to walk to the broken places of our world today. There are many places in our world that are broken, where people are hurting. And, and, and you turn on your TV and you see all the pain and the suffering. But Jesus is there. And when we speak of the broken places of our world, I think Cambodia ranks up there. Because Cambodia today is one of the poorest countries in the world still. An average income of a, of a family, the number is a little bit difficult, but, but the average income, an annual income of a family is about $300. Add to that, the United Nations said Cambodia has the highest amputees, people without limbs per capita of any country in the world because of the landmines. And Cambodia is a center of trafficking, human trafficking in Asia because of the corruption and the poverty. And so the people of that country continue to suffer and 
just full of brokenness. But the, the suffering of the people of that country goes back many years. 35 years ago, a radical communist group known as the Khmer Rouge came to power in Cambodia, led by an evil man by the name of Pol Pot. When Pol Pot came to power in Cambodia, he wanted to turn that country into some kind of an agrarian utopia communist state. And so to accomplish his goal, he began a systematic slaughter that in the spans of four years saw one-third of the populations exterminated. Somewhere over two million people of that populations of that country the atrocity, the genocide that were committed by the Khmer Rouge was in the scale of what happened during the Holocaust of World War II. And because of that, Cambodia is known today as the land of the killing fields. When, when the Khmer Rouge came to power in Cambodia, as soon as they got full control of the country, especially the capital city, they would force people to leave their homes and march them out into the countrysides with no purpose, nor directions, and only the clothes on their backs. And as soon as they were out there, and then they, they abolished all institutions, there was no market, there was no bank, there was no uh, a school, and, and there was no family for that matter. People were separated from each other. Family members, husbands and wives were separated. Children were taken away from their parents and sent to labor camps. And then they round people up, those that had any connection with the previous government and those that they perceived to be educated. If you wear glasses, you would be among the first one to be targeted. And they would take these people by the thousands and they would force them to dig these mass graves and they would line them up in rows and they would take the back of their AK-47 or the back of a hole and they hit the back of the people's head one at a time and then push them into these mass graves and many were still alive. They would simply leave them there to die or sometimes bury them alive. And, and they, they would take mothers with their babies and they would force the mothers to watch as they would take these babies and throw them up in the air and wait with a bayonet at the end of their AK-47. And sometimes they would grab the, these babies by their feet and smash their head against the trunk of a tree and then toss them into this mass grave and bury them with their yet still alive mother. And they came up with ways of tortures. They would cut people open and rip out their, their, their heart and that to show those that were waiting for their turn, they would pull pe people off uh, with pliers, pull off their fingernails and toenails. Just demonic ways of, of torture. And those that people that were not being tortured and killed off right away, they would force them to work in these labor camps throughout the countryside from sunup to sundown and through the night. And for food, they were giving one small cup of rice water. They would put a handful of rice in a big pot and fill that with water, and they boil that, and each person would get a, a cup of that. And so masses of people died from starvation in addition to the torture and the killings that were taking place every day. And because of that, in the span of four years, one-third of the populations and most of the people that were killed was, were from the city and quote-unquote educated people. And because of that, Cambodia is a broken place today. 
And yes, the killing fields are literally scattered the landscape of that country. If you go to Cambodia today, as Pastor Stan and others have done, we can take you to places in Cambodia. There are trees still standing. If you go and you look, you can still see the blood stain of what happened. Bones scattered under your feet, clothes that were taken off from people still scatter the, the ground everywhere. And it's a place of brokenness. But the thing is, folks, Jesus walks in the broken places of our world today. Amen. Because he came to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted and set the captive free. And because of that, the message of hope and salvation is being proclaimed in the country of Cambodia today and the church of Jesus Christ is being birthed and the gate of hell shall not prevail. He is, he is literally changing the killing fields of Cambodia into fields of living soul for his glory. And you folks, you folks are partner in that. And so thank you for allowing God to do that to your, to your giving, to your prayers. You know, as I share what happened in Cambodia, I share my own story because I was seven years old when the Khmer Rouge came to power in Cambodia. And I can still remember so clearly today, at the age of seven years old, after we were spending uh, several days in the bomb shelter, and when we came out, we were met by these soldiers, and they forced us to leave our homes. And along with everybody else, with tanks behind us, we were marched out into the countryside. We didn't know where we were going, but just along with just the mass of humanity being pushed by tanks out into the countryside. I, rem I remember seeing corpses on the side of the road. Didn't know what, hap what was happening. And once we were out in the countryside, they came and they removed me from my mother. And I was sent to a labor camp for children ages from about 7 all the way up to 11, 12 years old. And my mother and sister went to different labor camps. And in the labor camp I was in, even as children, they would force us to work in the rice paddies from sunup to sundown. They forced us to dig channels. They, they, they used these uh, bamboo baskets that we would carry those on our shoulder and fill with dirt and, and, and work all day long from sunup to sundown. And for food, we were giving one small cup of rice water. And I was able to stay alive by eating different insects, different roots, different grass barks, that I was able to find in the rice paddies to eat to stay alive. But the thing was, in addition to, to the starvations and, and, and the, the labor, they would torture us and kill us. Every day around noon or so, when the sun at its highest peak, when it's the hottest time of the day, and folks, those of you in Cambodia, went to Cambodia, know it's hot in Cambodia. When it's the hottest time of the day, they would tell us to sit down in the mud in the rice paddy, and they would come by, and they would randomly select a handful of children, six, seven at a time, and they would line them up in front of all of us, and we were forced to watch as they would take pliers and pull off their fingernails and toenails and pour salt on the wounds as they would take a knife and slash their flesh off piece at a time as they would take plastic bags and put over their head and suffocate them and we were forced to wash their faces as they were trying to grasp for air and, and died 
this would happen every day. One day they pick a boy that was working next to me and along with other children and they had uh, soldiers tied his feet together, his arms, uh, pull his arm apart and they went and they cut a frond from a palm tree that has sharp jacket edge. It's like a teeth of a saw. And they took that and while soldiers pulled this boy's head by, by his hair and they took the uh, frond from a palm tree and they tried to decapitate his, his head. And the blood and the, just the scream and the gore of it, I remember so vividly. It's imprinted in my mind. This would take place every day. They tortured me several times because of the hunger and to stay alive. As I've said, I would constantly look around and try to find different insects to eat. And, and one day, I saw a snail bobbing next to me in that rice paddy. And before the other children could get to it, and I picked that snail up, and, and I knew that they would probably kill me, but I didn't care because the hunger was so intense. And so I eat that snail. And sure enough, they came. And along with their AK-47, they carried these bamboo canes. And they used the cane to beat me and then tied my feet together and my arms behind my back. And they dragged me across the rice paddy to the place that we would come at night to sleep, just on top of a hill. And when we got there, they found a tree that was full of these red ants. And they tied me against that tree and left me there. Waited until the rest of the children came back at night from the field. And they told the children to circle around me. And they untied me from the tree, but my feet were still bound, uh, were still bound together. And they forced the children to come up and repeat a statement after them, saying what I did was against their rule that they, the children, they would not follow my example. And after they said that, they forced the children to beat me. And I would fall, and they would pick me up and stand me on my feet, and the next child would come up and repeat the process. Somewhere in the midst of that, I was unconscious. I don't know how long I was out, but when I came out of it, and remembers was so in be, uh, being so thirsty, and I crawled to get some water in the nearby rice paddies, and they came back and they beat me some more. They said, next time we will finish you. We will kill you. But the thing is, what they didn't know, that God had his hand on my life. He saw me in the midst of that suffering. And he kept me alive. In that labor camp that I was in, to begin with, we had over a thousand children, as I've said. When the Vietnamese invaded Cambodia, less than 50 survived. At that point, we were so emaciated, we couldn't even walk, much less work. But nevertheless, they would drag us and left us in the middle of the rice paddy to die. And so one day while we were out there, bombs went off, guns just uh, went off, and, and we didn't know what was happening. What was happening was the Vietnamese were coming in and invading Cambodia, and, and they got to us, but they, uh, we didn't know what was happening while all this was happening, and so those of us that had enough strength, we found a hole to hide, and we crawl in that hole, and after several hours, when the shooting had stopped, we crawl out, and we looked around, and we noticed that the people that were watching us, the soldiers, these young teenager soldiers that were watching us, they ran away. And so we were left in the middle of nowhere. But we knew where the village was, and so we made the journey towards the village. Walk a little bit at a time, and then sit down and walk some more. 
And when we got to the, to the village, we saw other people that survived. And they were coming out from the different labor camps all around that area. And they were literally walking skeletons, as you can imagine, with just skin and bones. And many times they couldn't walk very far. And so you have people just sitting and laying on the side of the road everywhere, looking for somebody to come along and help, looking for food. And so along with everybody out, I sat on that dirt road and a woman walked by and as she passed me, she turned around and came back and asked what my name is. And after I told her, she said, she's my sister. And then she told me that they kill all her children. She, she had three children. They forced her to watch as they torture and kill her children. And then she found out that they killed her husband at a different labor camp. Out of a family of five people, she was the only one to survive. And so after she found me, she didn't want to go back to her home knowing that all her family members were killed. And so we stayed in this place and a group of people had gathered. And as the people were trying to figure out what to do, somebody within our group said, perhaps we can escape to Thailand. And so one night we began the journey walking from where we were headed towards the border between Cambodia and Thailand, about 200 miles away from where we were. And we walk at night without food. And, but the thing was, we, we had to walk across a jungle that was filled with landmines and still is full of landmines. As the people would walk in front of me and they would step on these landmines and the landmine would blow up and rip off their limbs. And many times they were still alive and they would cry out for help and we couldn't help them. And we couldn't even walk around them because all the landmines, we had to walk on top of them. And when we got to Thailand, that small group of people, about a hundred or so people, less than 25 survived. And my sister and I was among those that have survived. And when we got to Thailand at that point, the world had heard what happened in Cambodia. The genocide, the Holocaust that took place in Cambodia. And so they set up refugee camps along the border and they sent us into the camp. And then they didn't know what to do and so they began to ask different countries to take in refugees. And through that process, I was able to come to the U.S. and went to Minnesota at the age of 11 years old as an orphan refugee. But as the Lord would have it, they put me in a foster home and my foster mother went to an Assembly of God church. And through her love and the love of the people of that church, at the age of 14 years old, even though I did not understand much about God and His love, I gave my heart to the Lord. But because he came to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, he did that for me. He touched and he healed me. And as I'm standing here this morning, folks, I'm standing here as a testimony of his goodness, of his grace, and his love because he came to preach good news to the poor. Yes, the memories are still there, but the pain, the nightmares are gone are gone because he came. And you know, folks, Jesus, when he was talking to that woman at the well, and the disciples have gone to the town to buy food, and when 
he came back, the disciples came back, they said to Jesus in verse uh, 33, excuse me, in 32, and then Jesus responded to them. He said, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And then he called his disciples and said, open your eyes and look unto the harvest fields. They are ripe for harvest. Jesus was tired. He was thirsty. He was hungry. But none of those things seems to matter to him at the moment because of the need of the people, of the brokenness, of the pain and the hurt that the people that are that were coming to him. The urgency of the need consumed in him that he didn't care what was, whether he was hungry or thirsty. And then he calls his disciples to open their eyes. And as he did then, he calls us today to open our eyes to the need of the people who are hurting all around our world. It's not limited to Cambodia, but here in Portland, Oregon as well. He wants us to feel what he feels and felt then and feels now for those that are hurting. We need to have that heart of Jesus. God gave me that piece of his heart. In 1991, when the country of Cambodia opened its door to the outside world, the Assembly of God, we sent missionaries to Cambodia. And it so happened, and when I said so happened, I said it in the light of that nothing is so happened in God's uh, uh, plan. And it so happened that one of the missionary families that, that we sent to Cambodia, we, the Assembly of God, they were from my home church. He was the one that led me to the Lord when I was 14 years old, always working in the youth group. And so because of the relationship, and, and when he got to Cambodia, he was overwhelmed with the needs of that country. And so in 1992, he asked, he wrote a letter asking if I was willing to go and be with him and help him for the summer in 1992. And folks, when I received that letter, I wanted nothing to do with Cambodia, as you can imagine. I was so thankful that God had touched and healed me and I, I, and I made a commitment that I would serve him in any capacity that he wants me to, to do, but not Cambodia. I wanted nothing to do with Cambodia. I wanted to be normal. By the way, I don't know what normal is. Perhaps Ken can, can tell me after the service. But... Uh, I just wanted to be normal. But, but this missionary friend insisted, and so out of obligation to him, I reasoned within my mind, I said, perhaps it's a good thing I'll go and I'll spend a couple weeks and bring that closure uh, to that part of my life and I can be back and come back and, and, and be in Minnesota and be normal. And so I went. And as I set foot in that country once again, the memories flooded my heart and my mind the memories that I buried for so long began to flood in my mind. And I thought about my mother, the mother whom I was separated by the Khmer Rouge at the age of seven years old. I didn't know whether she's dead or alive. I had forced myself to forget about her as part of trying to, to, to be normal. And, and, and her memories began to surface. And so with the help of this missionary friend, we began the search to look for my mother and two weeks later, we found her. And folks, when I went to meet my mother for the first time, I saw 
brokenness that would just overwhelm me. And after the, the, the shock, the initial uh, shock of the moment, and, and when we began to, to talk, and, and, and she started to talk, and I did, all I did was listen. And, and she began to tell stories of her own suffering, and how she was tortured, and how she was came close to being killed so many times and how she didn't have enough food to eat from day to day up to the point that I was talking to her. And as a child, I, I sat then I listened and I was overwhelmed. The next day, my mother went and cooked a little bit of rice that she had saved up and, and folks, she didn't have enough rice to eat. But she saved a handful of rice and when she finished cooking that rice, I saw a group of Buddhist monks walked by a house and they came and they, they stood in front of her house and as I watched from behind, my mother put the rice that she had prepared for the Buddhist monks in a little metal bowl and she walked out there to meet the Buddhist monks and when she got out there, she put the rice on, on the dirt there and then she bowed before them, her face into the ground three times and then offered the rice to them and in return, the monks said a quick chanting over her and then they move on and they believe that that chanting would turn into karma, good deeds. And my mother walked back to me and she put the rice to the bowl down as we sit on that bamboo bed and I asked her, I knew the answer but I didn't know what to say so I asked her anyway. I said, why didn't you eat the, uh, the rice? You, you didn't have enough rice, mother. Why didn't you eat it? Why didn't you, why didn't you have to give to the Buddhist monks? At that point, she began to cry, and with tears running down her face, she looked at me. She said, son, I have known so much suffering in my life. I have no hope of living anymore. And from her appearance, it's obvious. And, and, and she said, my only hope right now is I would give enough rice to the Buddhist monks that when I die and reincarnate again, that I would not come back and live the same life I'm living today because it's full of suffering. I would not come back to live the same life I'm living today. And folks, as I look into the face of my mother, here was a woman who'd known so much suffering, yet the only hope that she had at that particular moment was the lie from the pit of hell. And for the first time in my life, I understand why Jesus felt what Jesus felt when he looked into the crowd and he said open your eyes and look unto the harvest fields in the face of that what can you do I did the only thing I knew how I pray I said holy God please do something my God, I don't know how, I don't know what, but holy God, do something. Please help my mother. And as I was praying that, I reminded that the entire country of Cambodia was in the same condition as my mother, every person living in that country. And so I cried, I said, God, do something. And you know what happened, what he said? He said, Jesus Christ did it all on the cross because he came to preach good news to the poor to bind up the brokenhearted. Because he did it all, I can do something. I can give hope and salvation to my mother and the people of Cambodia. I didn't want to hear that. But that's what he said. And so because of that, my wife and I returned to Cambodia as missionaries. And we've been serving in Cambodia for the past 15 years. And God is faithful to his work. When we first went to Cambodia, we were asked by our leadership to run an orphanage. 
it was one of the most difficult things that I had to do. And folks, I have done many difficult things, but that was one of the most difficult things because at our orphanage, we, we had limited capacity in terms of, of room and space and resources to take care of children. We had room for about 100 or so children, but but thing is, every day the people would come and they would bring these babies to us and wanted us to take the babies in our, to our orphanage. And we couldn't because we didn't have enough room. And so we, we send them away, knowing that many of these children will probably die. The chances for them to survive was with us, but we couldn't take them all in. And so, in a sense, I was asked to decide which child gets to live and which child gets to die. And folks, I don't know about you, but that's not my role and that's not something that I wanted to do or cared to do, but I was faced with that. One of those mornings, a woman showed up and was waiting for me at the gate. And before I can set foot in the, in the orphanage ground, as I walked in there, she put, uh, she put a, a bundle of dirty blankets at my feet, and I knew what was in the blanket. And I, before she could say anything, I said, please, we can't take another child in. We just can't. We just overwhelmed. But this woman did something that the other people previously did not do. She got on her knees and she just grabbed my feet and won't let me walk away. And so I forced to look down at my feet and sure enough there was a baby. He was so emaciated, he couldn't even open his mouth to cry. His eyes had sunk in. He just barely cling on to life. And then this woman tell the story that she's not the mother uh, and that the mother had died and there, she couldn't find any relatives to, to take the baby to. And, and, and so she was forced to keep the baby. And for the past several weeks before she heard about us and, and brought the babies to, to our orphanage, all she could afford was a little sweetened condensed milk and mi mixed in water to feed to the baby. And he was emaciated. He would just barely cling on to life. So in the face of that, what can you do? So we, we accept the baby into our orphanage. And all of us, we care for, for him. And I wanted so much for him to live. I'd, I had never wanted so much up until that point to, you know, to, to have that, that baby live. And I pray for him and we care for him. And he didn't make it. He passed. And at my heart was just crushed. And it seems that all the all the the... the struggles and, and the hardships and, and the discouragement came to a point at that particular moment. And so it was upon me to find a place to bury this little baby. And folks in, in Cambodia, at that point, it was difficult because it is a Buddhist country. Even today, about 90% of the people are still Buddhist. And in, in that Buddhist country, when somebody dies, they would take the body to the temple and they would have a Buddhist ceremony and they would cremate the body. They, didn't let, uh, they wouldn't let us do that because we were believers. And so I was stuck with the body of this little child. And so I went to the government officials and I plead with them to please give us a piece of land where we can bury this little baby. And after I was pleading with them a couple of times, they finally said yes. And they gave us a piece of of ground on top of a hill 
overlooked the entire village where we were. And so we went up there. And after the older boys from the orphanage had dug a hole in the ground and, and, and we placed this child, this baby, uh, in that hole and, and the staff and the kids from the orphanage, we stood around that gravesite. And they look at me. And so I open my Bible to the book of Psalm. And as I begin to read from the book of Psalm, a loud, demonic Buddhist chanting sound came on. And the sound was so loud that I couldn't even hear myself read. And it seemed that the sky had opened up and this chanting was poured upon us. What happened was next to us, there was a Buddhist temple and they put a big megaphone and, and they broadcast that chanting and it's, that's common in Cambodia. And we were right next to us. And I felt so discouraged. It's one of those moments, folks, that God seems to be a million miles away. And it seems that the enemy was mocking God through this chanting. And I stood there and, and asked the, the staff and the children looked at me, expecting me to, to direct them to, to know what to do. And I absolutely did not know what to do. I stand there and I was so discouraged and I said, God, this is so difficult. I can't do this. Holy God, I can't do this. And that, in that instant, I, I, I made up my mind. I said, God, I'm going to go back to Minnesota. And as soon as I made that commitment in my mind, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and he said, look up. And so I looked up to that, that, where that sound was coming from, to the temple. But my attention instead was drawn to the people. There were several hundred people. They were marching from the, from the village to the temple and they were bringing food to the temple. And once again, he reminded me of John chapter 4. He said, open your eyes and look unto the harvest fields. Folks, while I was standing up there, bury that little baby. The enemy buries hundreds of people. And the Holy Spirit convicted me and said, yet, you're going to go home? It was one of those moments that I will never forget, folks. So in the midst of this chanting, I had my head down and all I could do was crying. And there was a, a girl next to me from our orphanage, about seven years old. And she pulled on my hand a couple times before I can look down and, and look at her. And, and she looked up at me and she said something that just stuck in my heart. He said, Papa, Papa, please don't cry. We will see him in heaven. And folks, her words echo louder and louder in my mind and my heart and the Holy Spirit said yes don't cry you will indeed see him and those people as well if you are faithful to do the things that I've called you to do in the capacity that I allow you to do because Jesus came to preach good news to the poor to bind up the broken heart and give sight to the blind and set the captive free and folks the message is still the same for us today we don't have to cry. Sometimes when we are overwhelmed with the needs of this world and, and, and we see the things that are happening and we look at our own resource and our own ability and we say, what's the point? But he's saying to us today, 
if we are faithful to do the things that he calls us to do in the capacity that he allows us to do, we don't have to cry because he came. The enemy, yes, intended for evil. In the country of Cambodia, in my own life, and in so many ways, in your own life as well. But God, but God will turn that for good to accomplish his purpose, the saving of many lives.